um, I'm excited about tonight's word because it's the kind of um, word that you need on a conference or a retreat weekend like this. Because uh, if you'll take what I believe the Lord wants to teach us tonight from 1 Samuel, then it's no longer going to be about what God did on the conference or in the, in the weekend, but it's going to continue personally in your life. Uh, this is the ammunition that you need in order for destiny to unfold in a long-term way. Not just a one-time encounter, not just a one-weekend encounter, but the truth we want to unpack tonight uh, can impact you for long-term, serious spiritual formation. And so that's what I'm believing the Lord for. So will you join with me as I pray? Lord, again, do anything you need to do in me that you might do everything you want to do through me. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my friends. I thank you, Father, for what you've already done. I'm very excited, Lord, uh, for what you're about to do tonight. And so we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you ever heard the story of a, a young man who uh, went out on a date. And, and maybe this doesn't translate well, but in, in where I grew up, um, when you went out on a date, you always walked the girl to her door when you brought her home. And, uh, and again, where I grew up, often the houses would have garden gates. And so you'd come up the sidewalk and there'd be a garden gate there. And uh, so this young man is walking his girl home from the date. And he gets to the garden gate. And he is there faced with a decision. Do I kiss her goodnight or not? Now, um, what he didn't know was that this young girl's little brother had crawled up into the tree overlooking the garden gate, perfectly positioned to view the evening's activities. Okay? So this young man is standing there at the garden gate with his girlfriend, uh, and uh, he looks up into the heavens. He decides he's going to impress her with her, his spirituality and his poetic eloquence, and he looks up into the heavens and he says, Father, Father, up above, shall I kiss the one I love? And the little brother takes the opportunity. He cups his hands and he says, Sinner, sinner, down below, pucker up and let her go. <laughs> of course, the young man says, I've heard from God, and follows through. Um, now, that's not a good example of hearing God's voice, although I'm sure that the young man at the garden gate thought it was. Um, but, folks, listen. I believe with all my heart that God still speaks to His people today. And I believe that it is a heritage that is well-founded on Scripture, and it is well-founded in uh, church history. And, and I think it's something that many of us have rejected because we've encountered one, two, maybe a half dozen people that everything they hear is God. And everything they say, God told me this, God told me that. Okay? And, and let me just say right up front, if everything is God, then nothing is God. Because you devalue the voice of the Lord and hearing God's voice if everything that happens is a word from the Lord. And so again, I want to I say, I think that in being burned by the lunatic fringe, we've lost the precious inheritance that is our right and privilege as the children of God. And so it's time to get our inheritance back. It's time for us to begin to develop a God-hearing sensitivity. 
And so I want to talk to you about this issue. Now, um, A.B. Simpson, again, who's buried right next to us, well, I'm not sure if he's still there, given that it's been almost 100 years. He may be halfway to the Hudson by now, but... uh, Actually, we know he's with the Lord. But he said this in 1902, and I love this quote. Remember, this is 1902. He said, Days of waiting are important that we may listen to God's voice. We are so busy, we cannot hear. We talk so much that we give him no chance to talk to us. He wants us to hearken to what he has to say to us. He wants us on our faces before him that he may give us his thought, his prayer, his longing and then lead us into His better will. Beloved, we do not wait enough upon the Lord. We do not spend sufficient time at the mercy seat. We allow the rush and the hurry of life to drive us off, and we lose time instead of gaining it by our reckless haste. We need to hear His voice. Now, if that was true in 1902, how much more so is it true in 2009? Now remember, 1902, this is before... You know, cars, planes, blackberries, TV, you know, all the distractions that you and I have. Um, And yet here's Simpson kind of on the edge of the technological age saying, oh, we're too hurried, we're too frazzled, we're too busy, we don't wait enough upon the Lord. I wonder what he'd say if he had a glimpse at the prayer life of the average church in 2009. Are we waiting enough upon the Lord? Um, And I believe that it's time for us to ask this question. How do we become a generation of God-hearers? Now, as I answer that question, uh, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 3. And I think most of the passage I have uh, up on the screen, and so if you don't have your Bibles, you'll be able to see it here. But I want to set this up by again putting forth Jesus as our foundation and as our example. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said this, I say nothing unless I've heard the Father say it. I do nothing unless the Father is doing it. In other words, what Jesus is saying there in that verse is that He is in intimate connection with the Father. And that's how He determines what He does, what He says, how He speaks. Um, That's our foundation. If you remember in Mark chapter 1, After Jesus has been baptized, the Holy Spirit has come upon him. He begins to heal the sick. He begins to cast out demons. He begins to do all this miraculous stuff. And the crowds begin to gather in that first chapter of Mark. And and there's a huge crowd that's coming. And night falls. And everybody goes to sleep. And very early in the morning... Jesus gets up before anybody else has gotten up. And it says that He goes off to a solitary, quiet place alone. Now later on, the disciples wake up and they're like, where's Jesus? Look at these crowds. We've got you know, huge crowds. We've got to find Him. You know, they're going to kill us if, if Jesus isn't here. And so they go and finally they find Him. He's off in a solitary place. And, and I can just imagine the disciples saying, you know, Jesus, this movement that you've started is really looking good. We have crowds. We're going to start a database. We've got a church. I think we should take an offering this afternoon because they're really grateful. They're being healed. They're being, you know. And Jesus says these words. No. Let us go to another village. For I have to be about my father's business. Now, the disciples, I think, are scratching their heads saying, why do we need to go to another village? The crowds are here. In fact, the other villages are empty. They're all over here. But you see, Jesus 
never allowed his ministry to be dictated and driven by need. And if we don't learn to hear God's voice, then the only thing we have is need. And if your ministry and your life is driven by need, you will burn out before the week's out. See, we have to be able to hear God's voice because the needs are all around us. And we have to be able to hear God's voice so that we are not driven by need, but we are led by the Father's voice and intimacy. So how do we do this? Um, I want us to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And in this passage, we're going to look at some characters you're very familiar with. Now, uh, before I read this very first verse of of chapter 3, let me set the scene. This again is the time of the judges. Same time period we were in last night when we looked at Judges chapter 6. And the setting for the first three chapters of 1 Samuel is the tabernacle or the sanctuary in Shiloh. And this is where the Israelites kept the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, And now I'll remind you of some of your Sunday school lessons. Uh, Hannah was a woman who was barren, and she was crying out to God for a baby. And so she goes to the tabernacle. Uh, Families were required to appear at the tabernacle on a regular basis, so she's there. Her husband is probably doing some tabernacle duty. And she's crying out in chapter 1. Eli, the high priest, uh, sees her lips moving but she's not making any sound and she thinks that she's he thinks she's drunk or something and 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 when she he figures out she's praying he asks what is your request and she says i want to have a child and if i have a child i want to give that child to the lord and her request is granted the boy samuel is born and uh several years later after he's weaned probably about the age of three he is taken to the tabernacle to live with Eli and Eli's sons who were helping him serve at the tabernacle. Now, that brings us to chapter 3. This young man, Samuel, is probably 12 years of age. Josephus estimates that by the time we get to chapter 3, we're talking about a 12-year-old boy. And and so keep that in mind. We're not talking about uh, even somebody that had probably reached puberty. This is a young boy. And in verse 1... Here's how this chapter starts. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now when I see that verse, the first question I ask, there were not many visions, the word of the Lord was rare, rare, is I want to know why. Why is it that nobody was hearing from God? Why is it that visions were, were rare? Was God sleeping? You know, Did God just not want to talk to His people? Um, or, or maybe there was some kind of a special dispensation where God wasn't doing that stuff anymore. In fact, maybe they developed theologies as to why the Word of the Lord was rare and why people weren't getting visions. I mean, I, I don't know, but we've seen that kind of thing happen in our day, folks. We, we've seen whole theologies be built and developed out of people not experiencing the power of God, the voice of God, the presence of God, and they've literally built cessationist theologies to explain why God doesn't do that stuff anymore. And you know what? It makes sense to their natural minds. It breaks my heart because it has nothing to do with the reality that God wants us to live in. And when you look at the context of this passage, the answer is this really has nothing to do with God not wanting to speak. This has to do with the state of the leaders in that era. If you go back to chapter 2, let me just highlight a few verses here from chapter 2 prior to 
where we started. Eli's sons, these are the spiritual leaders, by the way, were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. You know what that means? They weren't listening anymore. They were consumed with their fleshly appetites, with their fleshly agenda, and is it any wonder they weren't hearing God's voice? The word of the Lord was rare. The spiritual leaders were doing this kind of stuff. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel, now verse 18 happens all throughout chapter 2. It's this but word, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Samuel is set up in chapter 2 as a contrast to Eli's sons. They had no regard for God. Samuel was going for it. He was listening. He was serving. He was doing everything he could to get close to the Lord. And so Samuel's the contrast. Verse 21, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And in essence, he did nothing about it. And so the reason the word of the Lord was rare, folks, is because spiritual leaders weren't listening. Now, you know, I have to tell you, I, I don't think every pastor or every spiritual leader is engaging in this kind of wickedness. But you know that it's very possible that if you begin to regard your own control and your own theology as more important than the presence and power of the Lord, that you can stop hearing Him. And I think in many ways what's happening, and, and I, I want to speak this to you, I believe God is looking for a contrast generation. He's looking for a group of men and women who will say, we will serve in the presence of the Lord. We will wait. We will listen for His voice. And so tonight, uh, I want to talk to you about spiritual disciplines. I want to give you four disciplines that are going to help you in a long-term way develop the ability to hear God's voice. Now, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, here's a very simple definition that I want to suggest. Making space for God. Now, if you're fasting, we're not going to talk about fasting tonight. Uh, what you uh, generally do, a simple definition of fasting, is you say, I'm going to do without food. I'm going to prioritize my spiritual appetite. I'm going to make space for God in that time period that I would normally fulfill my fleshly appetite. I'm going to fulfill my spiritual appetite. I'm going to spend it with God. You're making space with God. Same way with prayer and the other spiritual disciplines. But these four disciplines... Uh, I believe are going to help us to develop a hearing ear. Why? Because we are not primarily nat natural beings having temporary spiritual experiences when we go to a retreat. You and I are spirit beings. In other words, we have to be counterculture to the status quo that's going on in our world. We can't just get sucked in to 24-7 what everyone else is doing. We've got to say, I need to make space for God in my life. Not just a weekend, but on a daily basis. In fact, I have a friend who sets his watch to go off every hour. It goes off at 10 minutes after the hour. It beeps. And what he does is he uses it as a reminder to center himself, to say, Lord, uh, I belong to you. And he only takes two or three minutes, but he pauses during the day. Now, they may, that may not work for you. That doesn't work for me. But there's got to be things that we put into our life that remind us this is not what we were made for. This is not our home. And, and this is not what we're going to succumb to. We've, we've got to embrace something more. Let me talk about these four disciplines. The first one I see in Samuel is this. 
God here has practiced the discipline of position. The discipline of position. Look at verse 2 of 1 Samuel 3. It says this, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. All right, now turn to the person next to you, kind of punch him in the arm and say, you need to get out of your usual place. Come on. Come on. You know, black audiences do this a lot better, you know. Okay, come on. You need to get out of here. Listen. Okay, you can say it like this. You're stuck, brother. Man, you need to get unstuck. You need to get out of your usual place. Well, here's Eli. Business as usual. The word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. But here's Eli lying down in his usual place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, but Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, let me give a shout out here, first of all, to Samuel's mother. Because when it comes to the discipline of position, his mother gets first credit here. Because here's a mom that dedicated her child to the Lord. And here's a mom that saw to it that she followed through on the promise and she brought Samuel to the house of the Lord, to Shiloh, and positioned him so that he could be raised as a generation contrast to hear God's voice. But Samuel wasn't content with just living where his mom brought him. By the way, parents, uh, and I see you're doing this, position your kids to hear God's voice. Even when they turn 13 and don't want to be positioned to hear God's voice. Even when they say, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go on that retreat, i got other things to do. Listen, uh, you know, in the long run, what they're going to get by being positioned in the presence of the Lord is far greater than what they're going to get by avoiding it. And so make sure, now obviously you have to use some wisdom and discretion as to how to do that. That's a parenting seminar we'll conduct another time. But the reality is, parents, it's your job to position your kids so that they can feel the manifest presence of God. You know what, that's one of the things that I'm so delighted about. My kids are now 21, 19, 18, 17, almost 16. And, um, and when we go someplace they can sense and know the presence of the Lord. Why? Because we position them on a regular basis to do that. Now, there comes a point, though, where Samuel has to go further than what his mother had done. And if you notice, Samuel isn't content to sleep in the usual place. Samuel gets as close to the ark of God as he can. He had to get up and go to Eli's sleeping chambers, but he chose to position himself as close as he could to God's presence. Now, here's what we're talking about. Discipline of position is this. It is you saying, I am going to shut off the radio, the TV. I'm going to get up an extra hour early. I'm going to stay up an extra hour late. I'm going to quiet myself before God. I'm going to position myself to hear His voice. It might involve Bible reading. It might involve just sitting before Him. It might involve journaling. But that's not the point. The point is you are positioning yourself on a regular basis to hear God's voice. Four years ago, I, um, I had to make a phone call back to the church that I left in California in 1999. Okay, now let's do the math here. It's almost uh, seven years, six years after I'd left. And I had to call Risen King Community Church in Redding, California, and I dialed the number, and the receptionist who was there when I was there, her name's Emily, she answered the phone and she said, 
hello, Risen King Community Church. And I said, hello, Emily. And all of a sudden, from the other end, she went, Ron, it's so good to hear your voice. And I have to tell you, at that moment, I was like, that's right, they haven't forgotten me yet. And a little pastoral pride came out, you know, because I pastored that church for 10 years. And I said, Emily, you recognized my voice after only two words? And she said, Ron, you were my shepherd for 10 years. I listen to you preach every Sunday. I listen to you, to te- listen to you teach countless classes. Uh, I was in the office with you during staff meetings. Uh, Ron, you were my pastor for 10 years. I will never forget your voice. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And in, all, all of, in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and say, said, Ron, would that you would position yourself to hear my voice that way. And I realized in that moment that what God was saying is, we've got to learn to hear His voice. And in order to learn to hear His voice, we must position ourselves in silence, in quiet, in solitude. Not just once, not just at a conference, but it's got to become a part of our daily experience. The discipline of position. See, I I have people say to me, Ron, you know, I mean, my personality is not like that. I'm not wired the way you're wired. Uh, I mean, I can't hear God's voice. And I ask them, how often have you listened? How often have you shut off the radio, the distraction, and just sat in His presence? Because the reality is, we have to make a place in a world full of noise and voices calling for our attention. The discipline of position will help us to listen for the one voice instead of the many. And so, learn the value of a place. Now, Wanda and I are coming up on 25 years. And... um, we have a place here in Nyack that's very special to us. It's the place down on the wall by the Hudson River where I took her after we'd been dating about four or five months. And we were standing on that wall one night and I was talking to her and she grabbed me and she kissed me for the first time. That's right, you heard it here. She kissed me first, okay? And uh, I'll never forget, she kissed me that night and, and then leaned back and I looked at her and I said... Wanda, I'm not that kind of boy. <laughs> but I was, and I kissed her again. And, uh, and, and then a few uh, months after that, that was the place where I asked her to be my wife. And, uh, and there's times that we still go on dates, and I'll look at her and I say, let's go to the place. And we'll go down and we'll sit there and we'll talk and, and just be together. It's our place. It's a special place. Can can I encourage you that if we can do that in the natural, in human relationships, that you need not just one place, can I encourage you to develop multiple places with you and your God? Places that are special. Maybe it means that there's a chair in the house, there's a room in the house, there's a place that when your kids see you there, they know you're with the Father. That's your place. It might be a room. It might be, it might be someplace in nature. I've had different places over the years. Sometimes it's been out in the middle of the woods. Sometimes it's been a place in my house. But develop this concept of the discipline of position. Well, let me move on. The second uh, thing I see in this passage is this. God here has practiced the discipline of perseverance. The discipline of perseverance. Look beginning at verse 4. And you know this story. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, 
I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down, and again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. What that means in verse 7 is that this is a 12-year-old boy that had never had the benefit of any previous encounter with God. This was all new to him. This was all fresh to him. And so here he is. He's hearing something and, and he's responding. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then... Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, don't be so hard on the 12-year-old. The high priest of Israel didn't get it for three times either. Okay? And, and so finally, Eli gets it and told Samuel, go lie down and if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, the fourth time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Now, Three times God speaks to Samuel. Three times he mistook him for the voice of his mentor, Eli. And you might be tempted, man, this kid's not a rocket scientist. He's not that bright. But remember, it's the middle of the night. He's sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. You've seen the movie, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. If not, rent it. Okay. Um, I mean, crazy stuff happens around the Ark in the Scripture and in the movie too. And... Uh, and he's sleeping next to it, and he hears a voice in the middle of the night. Let me tell you something. If I heard a voice in the middle of the night, and I'm next to the Ark of the Covenant, I'd be running, but I wouldn't stop at Eli. I would just keep going. And so I, I want to give him some credit. He goes every time to the closest thing he had to God. He goes to his mentor. He goes to Eli. And, and I think God, in essence, is saying, you know what? I like this kid. He's not going to give up. He's going to persevere. He's going to keep at it. I'm going to keep speaking to him until he gets it. And of course, here's the good news. God is patient with Samuel and he's patient with us. But the issue is we cannot grow weary in the process. Folks, listen. The reality is I am telling some of you what you've already known for your whole lives. But in the process of doing this position thing, You've stopped persevering. You've gone through a season where you're not hearing from God. You've gone through a season where the Scripture is dry. You've gone through a season where the stress at work and in the family is so great that it has gotten crowded out. And as a result, you're not hearing from God. And folks, I, I tell you, the only way that we get back there is we begin to say, I am going to persevere. Lord, when I hear you and when I don't hear you, I'm going to position myself. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be there in your presence. I am going to be in the position and I'm going to persevere in that. A few years ago, I heard Pastor Mike Bickle tell an amazing story. Uh, Mike was then the pastor at Kansas City Fellowship, Metro Vineyard at the time. And uh, they had very early morning prayer meetings at this church. And uh, one morning, Mike said that he was going to this prayer meeting. He was half asleep, but he was showing up anyhow because he, he, there were going to be other guys there and he had accountability. And so he shows up at the church and he gets out of the car and there's a few cars in the parking lot and he gets out of the car and all of a sudden he hears this incredible choir. And he looks around to see if there's somebody playing music. And there isn't. 
And he still hears this beautiful choir, and he goes into the church to see if maybe the choir is in there, or somebody's playing something in there. And there's nobody in there but a few guys drinking coffee, half asleep like him, and yet he hears the choir. He goes into the sanctuary, to the worship center. Nothing. He still hears it. All of a sudden it hits him. He's hearing angels sing. And now he gets excited. He says, he's thinking, oh man, if our prayer meeting is accompanied by an angelic choir, revival's here. And so he goes into the prayer meeting, he doesn't tell anybody, and they begin to pray. And it was the worst prayer meeting he'd ever been in. The guy next to him falls asleep and begins to snore. Okay, now remember, he's thinking, revival's come, third great awakening, angelic choir, here we go, and it was terrible. And so they finish the prayer meeting, Everybody leaves, Bickle's there alone, and he says, he turns to God and he goes, what's the deal? I heard angels singing, and this was the worst prayer meeting we've ever had. What's the deal? And the Lord speaks to him and says, what you do not value on earth, I value in heaven. And every time two or three gather to pray in my name, that's what happens in heaven. Now the lesson that Bickle learned from that is that God values unanointed prayer now let me clarify that god values what we call unanointed god values when the saints of god get together and they position themselves and whether we think it's good or not we are in his presence and by faith we are saying father i am not going to give up i am going to continue to come i'm going to persevere like samuel i'm going to show up again and again and again And folks, the image that I have right now is in Revelation where it says that the prayers of the saints are like the smoke that goes to a heaven and it fills the censer. And it's as if those prayers go up and they're not being answered, they're not being answered, they're not being answered. But if you read, I believe it's in Revelation 8, in a moment of time, the angel spills out the censer and the answers come. Folks, listen. There's not a prayer you're going to pray that is unanointed when you're doing it in the, place of, in the presence of God. And so he's called us to position ourselves and to persevere with that. Don't give up. Moving on, the third discipline that I want to talk about tonight is called the discipline of discernment. God here has practiced the discipline of discernment. Now look at verse 10 again. Then Samuel said, and this is, remember, the fourth time he's heard the voice, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Here's what happens in this moment. After three times missing it, Samuel finally learns to recognize God's voice, to discern God's voice from his mentor's voice. And I believe many times people are missing the voice of God because they haven't learned, now hear me, they haven't learned to discern God's voice from their own voice. Or God's voice from maybe the tapes that play in our head from different people who have been influential either positively or negatively in the past. And the reality is we must begin to grab hold of the discipline of discernment. Um, Simply put, is this the Lord? Is this my own flesh? Or is this possibly the enemy? Because there will be times when the enemy comes as an angel of light and tries to deceive. And so we've got to develop discernment. Now, one of the reasons why I I feel like we are not developing discernment well is that we have confused biblical discernment 
with our comfort zone. Now, here's what I mean by that. We have started to assume that whatever we're comfortable with, that's God. And whatever makes us uncomfortable, or a little nervous, or a little frightened, no, 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 that's not of God. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few years ago at Nyack, we had a spiritual emphasis week. And God was moving. He was doing some stuff. Uh, we had a special speaker in, and he was giving some prophetic words. He was calling students forward, and that was kind of new. And he prayed for a few students, and a few of these students... Uh, and I was watching, he wasn't pushing, we talked about this, okay, uh, they went over. And, uh, and so we had students laying around, okay, and kind of soaking in the presence of God. But we had some students that had never seen this kind of stuff before. And, and one young lady, her name was Kelly, she came running up to me, and I'd known her for a long time, I knew her dad, her dad was a pastor, and she came running up to me and she grabbed me, and she said, Professor Walborn! You've got to stop this. And I said, why? And she said, this is not of God. And I said, Kelly, why don't you think this is of God? She said, this is not of God because I've gone to church my whole life and I've never seen anything like this in my church. Now, I knew the church she came from. And so here's what I said to her. I said, Kelly, if your church is the litmus test for what God is doing on the earth today. We're in deep trouble. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, when was the last time you saw somebody get saved in your church? She said, I can't remember. I said, when was the last time you saw somebody get healed in your church? She said, oh, never. We don't do that. I said, when was the last time that you can say God showed up at your church and did something that you weren't comfortable with? And she said, no, that's what I mean. God never does anything that I'm not comfortable with. And I said, Kelly, it's time to meet the real God. Because the real God is going to destroy your comfort zone. And it's time to learn to discern what is God and what is not God. And it can't be based on what you're comfortable with. And she said, well, what do we do? I said, come on. I grabbed her hand and I took her up in the front. And there was a young African-American man who was down. And he was laying there. And we pulled up two chairs and, and she was white. I'm white in case you're wondering. And we sat down next to this kid and we just kind of looked at him. Okay? Now, I said, Kelly, we're just going to stay here. We're going to find out what God's doing because this is something you've never seen, right? She goes, yeah. So all of a sudden, poor kid opens up his eye. Two white people going, what's up, bro? You know? And I go, hi. He goes, hello? And I said, uh, we're just here because we want to find out what God's doing in your life. And he goes, Okay, and he said, uh, and he started to share with us how the Lord used the prophetic word that this guy had given to call him on an issue of his life in sin. He came forward, he was repenting. As he was finishing repentance, he was being prayed for. He went down, and the Lord was filling him with joy. It was, it, he felt like he was empowered to say no to this sin issue in his life. And I'm looking at Kelly, and I go, does this sound like Jesus to you? She goes, yeah, she's now crying. I says, does, does this sound like something that's not of God? She goes, no, no, this sounds like it's the Lord. I said, so could it be that God is doing something that you're not comfortable with, but it's Him? And she said, yeah, I guess I need to develop a discernment that's not based on my comfort zone. Now folks, I, I know I spent a long time to make this point, but some of you are stuck because you have confused what you're comfortable with with what God wants to do in your life. 
And I'm telling you this, he is good and you can trust him, but he doesn't care if he destroys your comfort zone because he has something bigger he wants to do in you. Now, how do we develop this discernment? Let me suggest three things practically that we need to do under this discipline. First of all, you need to renew your mind on a regular basis with the Word of God. Uh, Please hear me. God's Word is not going to be violated by God's voice. In other words, uh, He may violate your interpretation, or rather your misinterpretation of His Word, but the voice of the Lord is always going to be consistent with God's Word. And so memorize Scripture. Many times when the Lord begins to speak, He'll begin to speak Scripture to you. And so let your minds be renewed by the Word of God. I, I used to bribe my kids to get the Word into them. I'd offer them money to memorize sections of Scripture. And, and you may think, well, isn't that you know, kind of wrong motives? At, listen, on one level, I didn't care as long as they got the Word in them. Because the reality is this, the Word of God will not return void. And so there's something about developing a mind that's being renewed on a regular basis by the Word. Secondly, we also have to have spirits that are renewed and filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, it's possible to know the letter of the law, but not have the illumination of the Holy Spirit and use the Word in a wrong way. And so we need to have the Holy Spirit lighting up the truth that God has given us in His Word. I think one of the doctrines that we've heard a lot about is the inspiration of Scripture. And we fought very hard for the God-breathed nature of Scripture. And, and I'm all for that. I believe we need to argue for that. But what we forget is the same Holy Spirit that inspired it on the end where the authors were recording it is the same Holy Spirit that has to illuminate it and light it up so that we understand it on the other end. And both are miraculous. And so the Word of God and the development of discernment is not just the knowledge of the Word with our minds, but also the Holy Spirit renewing us. And the third thing that I think we need to do is this. We need to have wills that are committed to going against the status quo. We have to have wills that are committed to going against the status quo. And and by the way, this takes courage. This means that you're saying, I am willing to go against the grain, and I'm willing to hear God's voice and hear God's word confirm it, and then kind of speak a word that doesn't necessarily fit with the status quo. For instance, look at verse 11 through 13 here. The Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Now, we all, most of us know the story of Samuel. We sometimes forget the very first word from the Lord Samuel got. It wasn't good news. I mean, you'd think you're 12 years old, you're getting your first word from God, that the least that God could do is give you a, yay my people, I love you my people, you know. Uh, you know. But that's not what he gets. He gets this word that says, I'm going to make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, and his sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Here's my point. No other prophet in Israel, except one that is referred to briefly in chapter 2, is getting this kind of a word. Every other prophet was saying this, 
Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Our spiritual leaders are doing a perfect job. That was the status quo prophecy that was going around Israel. And Samuel gets a word that says everything is not okay. The status quo is not making it. And here's a 12-year-old that has to have the courage that his own mentor did not have. Now I say that because I believe that Eli was called upon to come against what his sons were doing and he chose not to do it. And so the courage that that Samuel had in this place is I think the third thing we need to develop this, this whole discipline of discernment. Know the Word. Have our spirits illumined by the Holy Spirit and then have the courage to go against the status quo. Let me put it to you naturally. When you live in a house that needs to be painted and the paint's peeling and it's a mess, if you live there long enough, you go in and out that door and you stop noticing But when you invite a friend over for a visit, the friend has a fresh set of eyes and he looks at your house. Now, if he's nice, he won't say anything. But if he loves you, he'll say, you know what, your house is a mess. You need a paint job. Um, I'll come over and help you, okay, if he's really nice, okay? But the reality is we need people in our lives who have enough courage to speak the truth that we don't want to hear. And so the discipline of discernment is developed that way. Well, let me move on. Um, Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. That's the end of the word. Move on to discipline number four. Fourth discipline. God hearers practice the discipline of honesty. The discipline of honesty. I, I like to define the discipline of honesty as speaking the truth when a lie would work better. Okay? And Samuel does that. Look what he he does here. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Pause there. Um, When we talk about the discipline of honesty, I want to see it in two ways. If you're going to develop a hearing ear, you have to say now, Lord, if you speak to me, I will be honest when you call me to speak it to others. Now, let me issue a disclaimer. Not everything you hear from God is for public consumption. Not everything you hear from God, you are to speak. Now, when I first um, came into uh, the things of the Spirit... Man, the Lord would speak to me, and I would just spit it out as quickly as I could. And I came to find out that often God was telling me to prepare me to get me to prayer, and not because I was supposed to speak it. Now, in this case, and in many cases, the Lord may call you to speak it to a person. If He does, then you have to speak the truth in love, but you must speak it honestly. And the second part of this discipline of honesty is simply this. When we hear a word, we have to receive it honestly. When we hear a word, we have to be honest when we receive it. I think one of the saddest phrases, verses in this passage is this verse right here, verse 18, the second part, when Eli says, He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. Here's the picture I have of Eli in this moment. He shrugs his shoulders. He goes, whatever. 
And he's not receiving it honestly. There's no repentance there. Now, I like to imagine what might have happened had Eli said, You're right, Samuel. I receive this. This is what I deserve. But, oh God, have mercy. Oh God, I repent. I will deal with this issue in my sons. I would have liked to have seen what would have happened had he repented. But he didn't repent. He didn't receive it honestly. He just resigned himself and gave up. And you know the end of the story. Uh, The next chapter, they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. They lose the Ark of the Covenant. Both Eli's sons are killed. And when Eli finds out that the Ark has been captured, he falls off the porch and he dies himself. And so it ends in tragedy. And so the discipline of honesty is speaking the truth in love and also when we receive it, honestly receiving it. Now, let me tell you something about this. I think the reason we have a hard time being honest when God calls us to speak something to one another is because we're afraid that if we're that honest with somebody, that they might feel the right to be that honest with us. Do you ever wonder that? Okay. But let's get real, folks. That's what we need. We need people who love us enough to speak the truth even when we don't want to hear it. And so it's time for us to begin to say, I'm not going to bury this. I'm not going to hide it. When the Lord speaks and gives me permission to speak the truth, I'm going to do it with honesty. And so those are the four disciplines that we see in this passage. Now, let me conclude. Pull this together. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, here's what we read. After this takes place, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up He let none of his words fall to the ground. That means this, Samuel got really good at hearing God's voice. And when he spoke, not one of them dropped to the ground. Not one of them did not come true. He got a lot better. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Verse 1 of chapter 4 is the contrast verse to verse 1 of chapter 3. Let me remind you. The word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And then God taps a 12-year-old kid and says, young man, if you will discipline yourself and get in the position, if you will not give up, if you'll develop discernment, and if you'll speak it honestly when you get it, I will break this dearth, this famine, this drought of my word in the land. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, And Samuel's word, which was the word of the Lord, came to all Israel. Folks, I am just naive enough to believe that God wants to do the same thing in our day. And, uh, and, and I believe that if there's men and women that say, I want to be a contrast generation, I want to hear God's voice, that we can break free from the status quo that's killing the church in America. And I think your church is positioned to become that kind of a church. Those kinds of people is what I see in front of me. And so these are the four disciplines that you can take from this conference. Now I want to give you an exercise. We're going to pray. I want to pray for you. But I I want to ask you and suggest that you do an exercise. And, uh, And here's what it is. I want you to do two things. Either tonight... Or get up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and do it. But I want you to, first of all, write a letter to God. Now, it can be about tonight. It can be about this morning. 
It can be about last night. It can be about something totally separate from what we've been talking about. But I want you to say, Father, this is your son, this is your daughter, and begin to write a letter to him. And just begin to cry out. Now some of you have done this before, some of you have never done it, um, but I would encourage, whether you're an old hand at this, uh, a fresh letter to the Lord. And then when you finish that letter, it doesn't have to be long, but just kind of pour out what's on your heart, then I want you to do something maybe you've never done before. I want you to write a letter back from God to you. Now, when you do this, I don't want you to psychoanalyze yourself in the midst of it. I don't want you to theologize and say, oh my gosh, I wonder if that's correct. I don't think that's biblical. Um, I don't want you to go there. I want you to stay in the presence of the Lord, and maybe if it helps, just to, to as you're writing the letter to Him, uh, just make the switch. This is the way I do it in my own journal. And I'll, and I'll be writing to the Lord, and then all of a sudden, I'll just begin to write, my son Ron, I'm so glad you came today. And just begin to write. And, and just stay in the position, stay in the presence, uh, just like you are when you're praying, and just begin to write and see what God speaks to you. Now, you can test it later. Well, you, know, you, you can even let a member of your group see it and see if you're a heretic or something you know, later. But don't go into that mind analysis in the moment. Let it flow from here out. I want to tell you something. If you've never done this before, it can be one of the most powerful spiritual exercises you've ever engaged in. And once you catch it, I don't think you'll ever stop doing it. It's just something that's stayed with me uh, for about 20 years now. So, deal? I know some of you won't, some of you will, but that's okay. Uh, I've laid it out there. Let's stand. I want us to pray. Father, in many ways, uh, this word tonight is something that is responded to not in this moment, but over the next few days, over the next few weeks, over the next few years. And so, Lord, I, I ask that your word would take root in our hearts tonight like a seed. And I pray that these disciplines, many of which I'm sure that these faithful uh, followers of the Lord are aware of. But yet, Lord, how often do we need to be reminded? And God, we right now intercede. Would you join me? Lord, we intercede that you would break the famine, the drought of the Word of the Lord in America. We pray, Father, that the Word of the Lord would come forth, that the vision of the Lord would begin to be restored. We pray, Father, that churches would not have to rely on programs that have been developed thousands of miles away and try to do it in their church like it was done someplace else. But I ask that churches would begin to hear a tailor-made, God-ordained program method for reaching their community. Father, we copy what other churches have heard from You. And, and Lord, that's fine, but... Lord, would you make us a voice and not an echo to our community, to the people around us? Lord, would you give us the ability to hear what you're saying, to new hope, and not just to Saddleback or Willow Creek. And 
Lord, I thank you for the people that have listened there. We don't speak badly about what's going on in those places. But Lord, we don't want to be copycats. We want to hear from you. And so God, make new hope people that hear God's voice, that hear God's plan, that know what He's laying out for Westchester and the surrounding area. Lord, for the, in the same way, I pray for families. Uh, Father, parenting books are great, and thank you for Dobson and those kind of... But Lord, we need to hear for our kids. We need to hear for our families. And so I pray for the fathers in this place, that you would open their ears, God, to hear your word for their sons, for their daughters, for their wives. Lord, open the ears of the moms here. Lord, they're prayer warriors here. But prayer warriors are most effective when they hear it from God first and then repeat it back to Him. And so God, we pray that You would increase the disciplines of the God-hearing generation in this church. Do it in us now. Come, Spirit of God. Yes, Lord. Let's just wait on You. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Open the ears of my heart, Lord. Open the ears of my heart. I want to hear you. I want to hear you. Open the ears of my heart, Lord. Open the ears of my heart. I want to hear you. I want to hear you. the worship team would come up. Let's just continue for a moment just to stay in His presence. Uh, I would encourage you uh, over the next 24 hours, and it's not even 24 hours, you're going to be here as this retreat comes to a a conclusion, to talk with group members or talk with... uh, You might have some time to meet in your groups tonight even. I'm not sure what the schedule is. And and just uh, have each other hold one another accountable in this area of developing these disciplines of a God-hearer. Father, in Jesus' name, we now seal the work that You're doing in this congregation, in these individual lives. We thank You, Lord Jesus. We worship You. We exalt You, Lord. It's so hard to realize that truth, the greatest truth and we struggle with it on a daily basis. He loves me. He loves me. We'd like for us to sing that chorus one more time. We'd like for you to take a hand, right hand, or lefty if you that's your if you're left-handed. Would you raise it to heaven? Would you receive that love for which Jesus gave His life for you to know intimately, deeply, sweetly, strongly? Would you take that hand now and send it? 
like for you to minister it to your own heart by the Spirit which you are able. Would you put that hand over your heart? Would you sing this song one more time? Receive it. Receive it. each other, but I'd like to do something before we do that. Before you ask to receive a word of the Lord for somebody else, brother, sister around you, I would very much like for you to receive the word of the Lord for you. Daily, He speaks to you lovingly, gently, encouragingly, words of comfort and peace, encouragement and edification. Not just generally to the body of Christ, specifically for you. As the infinite mind of God knows every single one that He's created and every single one He has redeemed back to Himself, to His heart, that He would lead like a shepherd, care for with love. It says in the word of Isaiah that He carries His sheep like a shepherd close to His heart. I ask that you would spend this time for a few moments to draw near and feel the beat of His heart of love for you. When you ask for the word of the Lord, I'd like for you to reach out for the word of the Lord. And as you reach out for it, I'd like to put into your hearing Romans 10:8. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is not far from you. It is in your heart. It is in your mouth. He has already placed it there. It is already beating with life-giving force within you. The Spirit is poured already inscribed inside of your heart. So say Ezekiel 36. Jeremiah 31. Just spend a few moments and listen for the word of God that He has specifically for you. I'd like to exhort some of you, before you do that, you may need to kick out some of the words that are not of the Lord. I'd like for you to be bold. Gently we receive the words of the Lord for us. Boldly we renounce and reject the words of the enemy, the world, the sin, and flesh that speak against us. If there is anything inside of your head that says, God does not love you that much, or you cannot do this, or God can no longer use you, or this cannot be of the Lord for you because it is too good, too sweet, too big, too powerful, too wonderful, too marvelous, it's not for you. You must be bold, reject, and say no to those words. Turn around and say to the word of the Lord, Yes. Yes. Everything you have for me, I receive it. I say yes. You can be seated, be standing, spread out, find a corner. But as the worship team plays, would you seek for a while like Samuel? Say, here am I. 
Here I am. Here I am. When I hear your voice speak, your servant is listening. Speak, God. Have my attention. I'm all ears. You can spread out if you like to stay where you are. Spend a few moments, a few minutes singing the word of the Lord for you. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. Father, we ask, would you minister comfort to those, Father, who are in need of comfort? And Father, to the deep and the broken places, Father, would you allow a balm of Gilead and healing, God, come deeply to those who need it? Jesus, would your ministry come in your own presence, in the Spirit, your own Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Jesus, that Jesus, the Nazarene, would you come and minister to us as you did in those places long ago. If some of you are needing a touch from God and yet feel like you need someone to really be in prayer over you, really minister God's Spirit over you and speak to you the words that maybe you're not hearing from God, would you just go ahead and just raise up a hand? There's some people on hand who'd love to pray for you, who'd love to see God on your behalf and minister and encourage you. So if you want someone to pray for you, just go ahead and raise a hand up. Raise them high so we know that you're asking for prayer and not just, you know, raising your hands. For everyone else, we want to close our retreat in the way that we close every retreat in a time where we fulfill what it means to be the body of Christ, each member ministering the love and Holy Spirit to other members. As you wait upon the Lord, would you allow the Lord now turn around the words of blessing He has given to you and put in your mind a face, a name, someone that you need to go to. Would you ask for Him for specific words of prayer and encouragement that you desire, that He desires to give to that person? And would you just go ahead and take the initiative as Christ's love compels you to just get up from where you are and to reach over and say, Brother, my sister, I so much want to speak and minister into your life. Would you allow me to do that? And would you pray as allowing each other to hear each other's prayer? Would you pray for each other, put a hand on each other, and take turns ministering to each other in the Lord? As God's Spirit leads you.